1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22, all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. We are in this book that is written by the Apostle Peter. How many of you have been with us for most or some of this book, so you kind of know what's going on? Okay. Um, this is a church that's going through tremendous difficulty, trials, persecution. Nero, the emperor, had burned the city of Rome, and he had successfully laid the blame at the foot of a sect called the Way. That was what Christians were known as during, in, during that time. This, the Christian church was being then persecuted, and this persecution was spreading like wildfire. Christians were literally being burned alive. They were serving as Nero's torches at his parties uh, in his garden. They were eaten alive by wild animals. They were crucified. They were dragged behind chariots. It was literally open season on the followers of Jesus. And yet, this book, amazingly enough, is a letter filled with hope. The title of the series that we're calling this uh, book of 1 Peter is A Living Hope. See, Jesus, who went before us in all things, he suffered. So if you're suffering, you're not, you're not the first person. Jesus suffered, then died, then rose in glory. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you don't have a dead former hope. You have a living, present hope who's willing to go with you into the furnace, into the fiery trials, okay? So I don't know about you, but for me, this book is already shaping up to be, well, like a survival kit for tough times. And then I got to thinking about it, and it's like, no, there's better yet. I'm going to coin a phrase. It's kind of cheesy. You're like, so what else is new? Instead of a survival kit, let's call it a sure thrive all kit. In here, we've already seen, we're beginning to uh, grab in, in the survival kit, and we're beginning to see that no matter what your circumstances, you, you are sure to thrive in all circumstances if you'll just listen to what Peter's saying and apply that in your life. Okay, I know it's not a word, sure, thrive all. But I'm convinced that Peter doesn't want us to be satisfied with just surviving through our trials. How many of you, that's kind of like where you are, right? Sometimes, maybe more than you want to admit, but apparently um, you're just barely making it. You, you just feel like you're hanging on. And your whole goal is just to survive. Well, Compare that to how Peter lived and how Paul lived, right? Um, Paul and Silas in the prison in Philippi, in the dungeon, singing praises. That's not just surviving, that's thriving. Peter in prison, in jail, being broken out by an angel. Before that moment happened, I don't think he was just surviving. He was thriving. These guys are constantly in trouble. I think it was Ray Stedman. I can't remember exactly how he puts it, but he says the definition of a Christian is one who is completely content and always in trouble. Right? And think about it. Most of all, Paul. Right? This guy suffered shipwreck, sickness, death threats, all sorts of crazy stuff that you can read about. And yet he was the energizer bunny of the gospel. He was the Timex of the gospel. How many of you remember that commercial? Yeah? You're, you're older than I thought. Um, right, the Timex of the gospel. The, the one who takes a licking and keeps on. Yeah, you're like, I don't, I don't want to admit it now. Do you guys remember the, the story when Paul was literally, as, as far as we can tell, was stoned to death? Just, in, in a, just outside of a town in Galatia, they take him out because he's sharing the gospel and they stone him to death. And um, he's just laying there. He's like, oh, well, let's have a little funeral service here for Paul. They gather around him. They circle around him. They pray. And he gets up. And he wipes himself off. And where does he go? Right back into that same town. 
That's unstoppable. That's not just surviving. That's thriving. And again, it's not, I'm not saying that uh, Paul was unstoppable physically, although that particular illustration would lend itself to that. But, I mean, there, was, there did come a time when a sword separated his head from his body. He was no longer unstoppable physically. But what an attitude. The, the attitude that no matter what you do to me, I'm going to thrive. I will not stop. I will not back down. It's that kind of thriving, I think, honestly, that God wants to do in our lives. That's the kind that, of thriving that he wants. So Peter here is giving us a sure thrive all kit. Now, what's in it? If you've been with us, you know some of the things that are in this bag. Um, first thing that I think we pulled out of the bag was the word mindset. Peter, Peter begins by saying in this whole first chapter, look, it's, all, it's the battle of the mind. The battle for joy, enthusiasm, effectiveness, all of it in the midst of trial is won or lost in your mind. Not by your circumstances, but by how you think about your circumstances. Look with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. That's kind of a, a summary statement there. Peter, again, writing to this persecuted church, says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That means get your mind ready. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, Peter was not a guy known for cerebral thinking. This wasn't a guy who's like, hey, think first and then do stuff. <laughs> no, he was a guy, a man of action. But here, as he's learned, as he's growing, he's like, wait a second, okay, prepare your mind because that's where the battle is won or lost. And preceding that, preceding verse 13, verses 3 through 12, is this big laundry list of things that Peter reminds us, reminds you, look, nobody can take away these things from you, the things that I'm telling you to, to keep your mind focused on. The things that are, are listed in there, he says, look, your resurrection, the things that are reserved for you in heaven, the fact that God is refining in you, all of these things focus on because they truly can't take that away from you. The government, Nero, nobody can take away this stuff from you, so focus, prepare your mind by focusing on these things. That's the first thing, mindset. You reach in the grab bag in the, uh, the, the survival, sure, thrival kit, it's going to be hard to say. I'll probably just end up saying survival, okay? You reach in the bag, second thing you pull up, purity, holiness. Look at verses 6 and 7. You'll see it there. He's refining. This is part of the whole reason that he is allows trials in your life is to refine you. Look at verses 14 through 16. You'll see it again. Be holy as I am holy. See, God allows fiery trials we talked about this on Thursday, to not to ruin us, but to refine us. This is in, isn't in my notes, but I'm reminded I, this would be a good thing to say maybe right now. The very end of, of our text this morning, we're going to see, Peter says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, meaning if you understand, if you get it, that the Lord is really good, then do these things. The point is, I think sometimes, again, we get lost. We go, we look at the trial and we say, oh, he's trying to ruin me. No, no. He's trying to refine you. He is gracious. He's good. It's in his nature. It's the thief that comes to steal and to kill and destroy. It's God that came, Jesus came, that you might have life and that more abundant. Not trying to ruin you, trying to refine you. I said on Thursday, I wonder how many times God will allow me to go into the fiery trial and he sets the egg timer for five minutes. And because of my thinking or my actions or my inactions, I end up there for five years. The refining. So at least two things already in our Sure Thrive All kit. Prepare your mind and purify your life. Now, we're going to see at least two more things here this morning. You ready? They can be summed up this way. The precious people of God and the precious pure word of God. The people of God and the word of God, those are also in your survival kit, okay? First, the people of God. Here we go, verse 22. 
It says, Peter says, to a persecuted church, since you have purified your souls, there's that purified word again, holiness, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. If you break this down, it's really the two phrases are one, the first is a commendation, and the second is a command. The first is an attaboy, the second is a, hey, I'm commanding you, you need to do this, okay? First, the commendation. Actually, you know what, let me give you this insight as well. It'll make a lot more sense when you realize that there's two words for love there, where it says sincere love of the brethren. That's that word phileo, brotherly love, that love that you have with people that have something in common with you. And then there's agape, is the, the one that we're commanded here at the end of the phrase. And that is that, that undes- love for the undeserving. Okay, here we go. Peter starts with a commendation. He says, guys, well done. Good job in this regard. You have listened to the Spirit. You are re- being refined as you show sincere brotherly love. Now, no doubt, again, keeping all things in context, no doubt this came because of the refining fire that they were in. The trials, right? They, they were having tremendous persecution, don't you think? Makes sense to me. That th- Their thinking was this. Look, if we don't stick together, we're sunk. I mean, literally, it's open season on Christians. And, and we are all we've got. Intense persecution, I think, has a way of doing that. Right? Refining, bringing about sincere brotherly love. Um, let me stop here and just say real quick that I think Peter, if he was writing to our church, he would say this too. Good job overall on the, the brotherly love. And, and let me say this. I hope we never get to a place where we need persecution to bring us together. Now, it does occur to me, though, that maybe... Because we don't have an overall yet. I mean, we have a little bit of the economy, right? This, this the kind of overall trial. But we don't have this kind of persecution. But it occurs to me that maybe, and probably likely, there's several people, maybe many people here this morning, that you're going through your own personal fiery furnace. Let me ask you a, a very pointed question. Are you sharing that with anyone? Do you have people praying with you and for you? Or are you just going through it alone? See, the devil, this is not news to you, the devil hates you. Each and every one of you. He hates all of us, collectively and individually, and he wants to destroy us. The Bible calls him a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's a lion running around the pack trying to figure out, okay, who can I take out? What's he going to go for? He's going to go for the weak. He's going to go for the slow. And he's especially going to go for those who he could isolate from the herd. He's going to pick off the weak ones, the slow ones. Let me just say to you, if you are going through a trial, I guarantee you the devil wants you to keep it to yourself. He wants you to to share it with no one. He'd prefer you to stay home from church. You you beat him there. But if if that doesn't work, he'd he'd prefer you to just come and and show up and, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, and then walk out. Please don't fall for that. Please do what Peter's readers did here back when he wrote it. Apparently, they did a pretty good job of this. They let that, that trial bring them together rather than separate them. Listen, like it or not, you grab in your sure thrive all kit and you look in there and there's our faces. <laughs> Scary, I know. We need each other. We really need each other, especially when we're going through something. Um, quick, by way of application, this just comes out every so often and I think it's the Lord's doing. Two phrases you can write down. I, I challenge you to say them before you leave here. One of two phrases or maybe both. First one, I need prayer. Would you pray for me? Or the second one, how can I pray for you? We need to share our burdens. We need to 
pray for one another. We need to speak well of each other. All of this is under that phileo kind of love. We need to think the best of each other. We need to pursue peace with each other, even when it's costly or difficult or awkward. Peter says to these guys, okay, good job on the the phileo kind of love, okay? But now here comes the command, the end of verse uh, 22. Here comes the command. I command you love, that is agape love, one another fervently with a pure heart. If you're taking an outline today, you might write down three L's. The first L is for this word, love. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. The second L is going to be for lay aside. We're going to see some things we need to lay aside. And the third is long for. Peter's going to want us to long for the word. Okay, first, love one another. He says, look, I don't want you to just settle for that phileo brotherly love. Like, hey, man, how's it going? Cool, right? I want you to go for this word agape. And most of you know what this word means, right? That's that unconditional, that impossible kind of love. That's loving the unlovely. That's serving the undeserving kind of love that God expects from us because God has shown us. You guys know I could do a whole sermon on love, but if I did, I'd still have to do the rest of these verses. So, no? Okay. Let, let, me, let me cut to the chase this way. I think this is the quickest way to, to go where Peter's going here. Look at that word fervently. It means to stretch. It means in, earnestly, intensely, uh, from a verb which means to stretch out the hand. Thus it means to be stretched out, earnest and resolute. See, Peter is challenging us to stretch out in our love for one another. And that's more of a stretch with some than with others, right? No pointing. But that's what agape love is, right? Stretching out to the undeserving, the unloving, the unappreciative. And I love this, that, that in this definition is the word resolute. Peter is saying, look, you need to be pursuing peace. We're going to see that later. Pursue peace with a dogged pursuit, with a resolve. Um, Decide to love no matter how you are maligned or mistreated or misunderstood. You be resolved to put forth this agape love, no matter how difficult or awkward or uncomfortable. Now that's a stretch. It's a stretch, but it's no more of a stretch than when Jesus stretched out his arms for us. So Peter says to them, and, and I think honestly to us, good job on the, on the phileo kind of love, that brotherly love, but I'm commanding you, agape love. You're going to need it in, as you go through every trial in your life. Okay, it's part of your sure thrive all kit. Okay, the remainder of the time pretty much, with a, a little bit of an exception, we're going to look at this other item in your kit. And this one is a really big one. See if you can figure it out. You guys say the word, word. Or, yeah, we can do it now. Go ahead. Um, Or word of God or the word of the Lord. Here we go. He says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the... The word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Anybody have a clue what the next item is? The word. What a shame it is. For any Christian to just be hanging on by your fingernails, just be willing to, to survive, and you're not pulling out the word of God that is, is guaranteed, we're going to see it's guaranteed to bring forth life. You are holding in your lap this amazing book. Here's the problem. I think every in America, right, we have a chicken in every pot and a Bible on every shelf, and we take it for granted. But it really is an amazing book. It's absolutely, Peter says, all of the apostles would agree, 
Every preacher that knows what he's talking about would agree. It's indispensable if you want to thrive in any circumstance. See, Peter points to the word of God and makes some amazing claims, and we're going to see they're all true. The first thing he says about the word of God is, look, guys, this is the seed that brought forth the eternal life that you found in Jesus. It says, this word that you're holding in your lap brings forth life. He says, exhibit A, you. If you're a Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus, if you have eternal life, you are exhibit A that the word brings forth life. Because he says, you were born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. Now, what, what a better reminder, what better reminder could there be to a church that's being persecuted? They are dropping like flies. People coming in, dragging you out of your home. You don't see your loved one again. There's death, the, the stench of death all throughout Rome. And yet, Peter says, um, you have a book that brings forth life. It did it in you the first time. He says, you were born dead the first time, but you were born again, right, by receiving Jesus. Now, how did you learn about Jesus? Through the word. Jesus himself likened this word, the, the Bible, to a seed, right? Matthew 13, it's, it's that whole story. He says the, he, he likens himself to the one who puts forth the seed, right? And he says the, the, the seed if it falls on stony ground or, or weedy ground or shallow ground, then it might not have success. But guaranteed, every time that seed falls into fertile ground, that's anything that's willing to receive it, guaranteed it brings forth life. It holds in it any, any seed. It holds in it the DNA for life. Listen, if you want your, your faith, your joy, your endurance, all of that stuff, if you want it to not just survive but thrive even in difficult circumstances, you need to realize and really get it that the word of God always brings forth life. It never ceases to do that which it's intended to do, which is to bring forth life. Once it hits fertile ground, it's, it's a done deal. Do you realize, Christian, and again, if you're going through something, hopefully this is encouraging to you, you do realize there's a part of you that will never die. Even if some crazy emperor comes and takes your life, there's a part of you that will never die. And the reason it's there, the whole reason it's there is because you read and believed, you received the seed of the word into the fertile soil of your heart. Truth about Jesus. Here's my point. <laughs> Maybe it took the long way around, but this. If this thing brings life, and you know that to be true because you've given your life to Jesus. Why in the world would you jettison it when you have trials, troubles? Why in the world would you shrink back from the word instead of go to the word that has eternal life in it? Verse 23, having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives. Okay, so first he said, look, there's something in here that will never die, but now he says it lives. I don't know about you, but that takes me right to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We live by that verse here. I pray that all the time. Lord, do surgery. Show everyone in the room that your word is alive that you are still paying attention, that you are still speaking to people individually and collectively through your word. Says, Hebrews 4.12 says, and this verse both say, the word of God is alive. Now, if you've been coming here any length of time, I dare say, I hope I can say this truthfully. I don't even do, need to explain this, do I? I mean, you know it by experience. I mean, in this very room, I hope many of you, most of you, have seen it happen. Think about it. This book that was written over thousands of years by many different people, and the last word 
was written about 2,000 years ago still speaks today to you. You come in and you have got something on your mind and all of a sudden, God is speaking to you. I mean, you come in and the Lord spoke to you exactly where you were. He, right, he brought you encouragement or maybe a swift kick in the pants. Happened to me. How does that happen with a 2,000-year-old book and parts of it much older than that? Think about it. You take any other book, a science book, mathematics book that was written that long ago, right? And it's either just plain wrong or it's irrelevant. But here we are this morning receiving just what we need if we have attentive ears, just what we need from this book because it's living. It's alive. It's truly miraculous how God speaks to us today through words, think about this, that never change. How does he do that? I mean, again, you, you pick up a science book and you're like, okay, that's 20 years old. Now, here, this one is the latest and because it's changed in a, in a good way, right? But this book never changes. It doesn't, it doesn't have the advantage of revisions, but it still speaks. Amazing. Peter says, look, you have been born again, verse 23, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This book is still going strong. Maybe you've heard this anecdote. <clears throat> I tried to look it up and confirm it or deny it, refute it. I couldn't find either one, um, but I got to share it with you either way, and I'll explain how, it's, how it works. Maybe you've heard it, that the French philosopher Voltaire, this much we know is true, was said in about 1870, I think it was, in 100 years, the Bible will be outdated as the almanac. And the anecdote continues going on that says, uh, after his death, his house was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society, <laughs> and they print Bibles out of it. That's an awesome story, and I, and I looked and tried to figure out if it was true. Couldn't really come, come to the firm conclusion that it was, but also there was no uh, real uh, convincing refuting of the story either. But here's the thing. You're like, okay, well, then why share it? Well, the, the illustration still stands because Voltaire, when I said that name, some of you went, who? <laughs> like, uh, name doesn't ring a bell. What is that, a foreign car? And even if you knew his name, some of you were like, okay, well, yeah, I know about two or three quotes, or, you know, maybe I might even know a little bit more than that, but that's it? I mean, that's the sum total of his glory these days? See, Voltaire, you need to understand, he was the big thinker. He was, he was the king of the hill, right? The creme de la creme. This guy had glory. He had fame, right? And that's the whole point. Among the elite he was among the elite in his fame and his glory, but now we go, uh, who's that? But the Bible is still going strong. And that's actually leads you right into verse 24. It says, because all flesh is as grass, even Voltaire's. And the glory of man, even Voltaire's, as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Peter writes this to a persecuted church saying, uh, you know what? Even if you're not persecuted, your time is short here. You need to be thinking right. Everybody is like grass that shoots up, and some of it is more than grass. It's flowery. It's actually pretty. Not me. I'm just grass. Some of you, maybe flowers. <laughs> but some of it has glory, but even the prettiest of it, just gone in no time. Right, uh, Peter's uh, quoting from Isaiah 40, and James quotes from this as well. And in all, all the passages, the, the message is the same. Basically, look, your life is a vapor. You're here today. You are gone tomorrow. And even the most glorious flowering life of this earth is like a flower that blooms for just a very short while and then poof, falls to the ground. <laughs> it's... It kind of shows where, where I am and where my culture, my, the age of my culture, is that, uh, you know, I start talking about Voltaire, and next I'm going to talk about Michael Jackson, 
You guys remember a few, few months back? You may have heard of it. Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett both died in one day. Now, if you're as old as I am, that's like your whole like puberty went, <laughs> went away in one day, right? I mean, that was your context, especially if you weren't saved. You're like, yeah, that, that was fame, glory, power, talent, beauty, riches. I mean, if, if you were a kid back then, you either had or you knew someone who had a poster on their wall with one of those or both of them. That was it. And in one day, it's gone. Peter says, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Y'all, we are all grass or flowers withering. Our glory currently right now is fading. Some of us faster than others, maybe. Right, we're losing hair, losing teeth, losing memory, losing eyesight, losing metabolism. <laughs> and some of you are like, yeah, you speak for yourself, not for me. All right, you get back with me in a few years and we'll talk. Matter of fact, if you're if you're young youngster here and you're, and you're like, whatever, which I probably was when I was your age, young whippersnapper, um, I challenge you to do this. Write down in your journal today. Pastor Doug, that old man, said that one day I'll look back at my physical body and say, Ichabod, the glory has departed. <laughs> you write that down and then you come back with me, you know, 20, 30 years from now. Listen, Peter's point is, look, our, our physical glory is fading. But the word of God is more dependable than the sun that rose this morning. I learned a little factoid. The sun burns off 4 million tons of mass per second. And at that rate, it will burn out in 15 billion years. I mean, the sun, we can't even look at it. But even in its glory... At its current rate, it's only got 15 billion years. And you're like, well, that's a lot, but not to God. I mean, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I hate to tell you, but your glory is going. This is as good as your life is going to get. Your glory will wither and fade, and you will fall to the ground. Matter of fact, it's funny. Isaiah 40, this this same passage, it puts in the in the words that uh, the the Flower falls to the ground with the breath of the Lord. It's like, done. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, this is as good as it's going to get. And I challenge you, you need to, before you die, and you don't know when that's going to be, you need to search this book. And you need, you need to see if every, all the people that are around you right now that you think are a little bit cuckoo, a little crazy, if they're on to something. Because this book declares of itself, Peter declares it, Paul declared it, I'm declaring it. This book is forever. And anybody who wants to live forever has to receive the word and understand that all of it speaks of Jesus and that he is the only hope that you've got. Hopefully you'll come to the same conclusion that many of us have and that Peter's audience had, because look at it, uh, the end of it. It says, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. See, there's the good news. If you're an unbeliever, <clears throat> right now, yes, your glory is fading. That's the bad news. Good news, you can live forever. By turning your life over to Jesus. He's the one that the whole book was written about. Okay? Now, Peter says, to bring it back into context, persecuted church, right? He says to a persecuted church, look, this book never changes. It's alive. It's still standing. It's the thing that gave you new life. And certainly, if you ever needed the book, you need it now. Who am I speaking to this morning? If you ever needed the book, you need it now. Let's go on to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, what do we do? Whenever we see a therefore, we look to see what it's there for. Peter is wrapping up here, right? He's saying, okay, in, in light of everything I've just told you, right? 
Look, we need to be loving one another, uh, not just phileo love, but, but loving one another agape. That's verse 1. In light of that, verse 1, but also in light of what I said about the word, verse 2 and 3. Okay? He says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Um, if you're taking uh, an outline again, we had our first L, which is love one another. Here's our second L, lay aside. Lay aside any hindrances to agape love. If you want to not just survive, but actually thrive in your circumstances, you need to lay aside some things. Here, here's some of them. Therefore, laying aside all malice. The word malice means ill will, the desire to injure. Now, maybe none of you, hopefully none of you have a desire to physically injure someone, but if you have ill will towards someone, he says, look, you need to lay it aside. You need to deal with it. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times, instead of laying it aside, what we want to do is lay it under the rug. That's not recommended. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew 18, look, if you've been offended, you need to go to that brother. If you have offended, you need to go to that brother. Right? See, Peter is saying, look, if we ever needed each other, it's now. And if we ever needed the word, it's now. Guys, don't let anything, if there's something between you and a brother, don't let that go on for any length of time. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice. So maybe, maybe there's someone in the room today who needs to lay aside malice. And the way you would do that would be to, to ask forgiveness or to grant forgiveness, maybe to have a conversation that might be awkward or weird, but just to go for it. Therefore, laying aside all malice, then it says all deceit, that is craft, guile, meaning you're not telling the truth. Let me ask you, and this is, you know, this is where Peter now has gone from uh, preaching to meddling, right? Getting all these great kind of over, you know, overarching concepts and principles, but now he says, okay, here, now, application time. Hey, I learned it from him. It's application time. It says there. Therefore, look, you need to get rid of the, the malice. You need to get rid of deceit. Let me ask you. Are you walking in light with all men, as we learned in First John? Are you walking in the light, or are you keeping secrets? Are you full of deceit? Maybe your application today is to come clean. First John 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's interesting, again, in light of the end of this text. If indeed you've tasted and you know that the Lord is gracious, do you know that he's gracious? If you do, you're going to feel free to come, to, to confess. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit. Then he says hypocrisy. That literally means to wear a mask. Uh, it's the word they would use for an actor on the stage. It means to play the part of someone that you're not. Maybe today, sort of similar to the previous one, maybe today you need to take off the mask. Maybe you need to confess to yourself or to another, especially to God, I'm not who I've been pretending to be. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and then it says envy. You guys know the difference between jealousy and envy? Jealousy is when you wish that you had what someone else has. You're jealous of what they have or enjoy. Um, for instance, someone else has more money or more glory or more talent, right? Or you wish you had their health or their IQ or their beauty or their spouse or their obedient children. Or you, you wish that you had children at all. But envy is one step further. Envy is instead of just wishing that you had it too, she wished that they didn't have it. Is there anybody in the room? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> is there anybody in the room that needs to lay down some envy? Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and it says, and all evil speaking. Notice all the alls there. All malice, all deceit, I guess you can have a little bit of hypocrisy. No, no, not really. But it says, and all evil speaking. 
I, I, I guess I wonder if in those cases he's trying to remind us, look, look, if you think it's okay to have a little bit of evil speaking, a little bit of gossip, that's what he's talking about. It's not. If you think it's okay to have a little bit of malice, it's not. If you think it's okay to be just a little bit deceitful, it's not. He says, in all evil speaking. Of course, that can mean, you know, foul language that's dishonoring to God. But in context, it, it must mostly mean this, gossip or slander. Because literally it means to harm with the tongue. Maybe there's someone here this morning. Again, don't raise your hand. But you need to lay aside your harmful tongue. You need to, I think as Joe Foch says, look, it comes with a cage. Just close the cage. <laughs> you, you need to lay aside evil, all evil speaking, speaking. Now watch verse 2. And as newborn babes desire, word means to crave. As newborn babes crave the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Somebody, yeah, somebody said bless you, right? Okay. Listen, as, as newborn babes crave the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If you have been around any newborn baby, raise your hand for any length of time, okay? If it's only been for a few moments, you might not have seen this. But if, if you've lived with a newborn baby, you don't need me to exposit much. If you, if you are unfamiliar with the phenomena, just borrow a nursing baby. Okay, not while they're nursing, but... One that is nursed, okay, a baby that is nursed, take them in your arms very gently and just touch their cheek with your finger or something. They'll go, huh? <laughs> right? Babies crave the pure milk. They are ready to receive that nourishment. Listen, guys, this is, and this is really important. Peter says... At all times, but especially in times of trouble, be like that baby. Crave the nourishment of the pure milk of the word. And just so you know, this is a completely different illustration than in Hebrews 5. Remember, the, the author of Hebrews in chapter 5 basically uh, calls out the church and says, you guys should be feeding yourselves the, the meat of God, and, but you, you're insisting on the milk of the word and everybody has to spoon feed you. It's a completely different rebuke. Um, I was listening to, to Pastor Gibb in, in Orlando, and he says, uh, you know, some of you, that the only nourishment you get in the word is when you come to church. He says, you come and I spoon feed you, spoon feed you and uh, you walk out the door and I shake your hand and burp you on the way out. That's the rebuke in Hebrews 5, but this is not that. This is saying, matter of fact, let's combine the two, because when you do, it, it all comes clear. If you combine the two thoughts, it's this. Yes, you need to be feeding yourself. Yes, you need to be uh, feeding yourself, not being spoon-fed by some other person. But listen, when it comes to your desire, you need to be exactly like a newborn babe. Again, you brush their cheek. And a baby is like a heat-seeking missile, <laughs> right? I am going to find that milk, right? If you really want to play games with them, you know, each cheek. No, that's terrible. Don't do that. can't believe you guys thought of that. Here's the point. If you do that, don't, don't really, don't. But if you do, they'll be like, I'm going to find that. Wherever it is, I'm going to find it, right? Um, Pastors are you know, notorious of, you know, you, you do a baby dedication and it's like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're always looking. Here's the point. Do you have that kind of a hunger for the word where it's not just, well, you know, I could take it or leave it, but I am going to receive nourishment. I'm not going to settle down. I'm going to scream like a baby until I get nourishment from this word. Now, here's a question. Do you have that kind of a hunger for the word? Don't raise your hand. If you don't, then I'm sure you're thinking, I hope you're thinking, how do I do that? 
I mean, how, do you, how are you supposed to make yourself hungry? Well, when you say it out loud, then all the parents in the room go, oh, I know. What do you tell your kids? Don't fill up on junk. <laughs> some, some of you are looking at, yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> how, do you, how do you have a healthy appetite? Don't fill up on junk. See, there, there's, there's a, a milk that's not so pure that the world wants to give you. Right? They, the world wants you to grow too, but not toward the Lord. They want you to grow away from the Lord. Right? So the world provides milk, and it comes through TV screens, speakers, certain magazines, books, DVDs, computer screens. It's no surprise to me when you think about it that way that Peter, before he says crave the word, what does he say? Lay aside some things. You need to get rid of some things so you'll have a hunger for the word. Let's go back, actually. Look at verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Are, are you not hungry for the eternal, life-giving, amazing word that we've learned about this morning? If you're not, maybe you need to lay aside some things this morning. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, trash TV. <laughs> you, could, you could add to this list. Laying aside whatever it is that keeps you from being hungry, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed, it says, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let me exposit two words there for you. Lord means the one to whom we belong. He calls the shots, right? He's the one. If he says, we, if he wants us to live, we live. If he wants us to die, we die. He calls the shots. <clears throat> Kyrios, one to whom we belong. But, but then this other word, gracious, you know what it means? Kind, benevolent, pleasant, not harsh or bitter. One who, if he's allowing trials in your life, he's not out to ruin you. He's out to refine you, and you've got to get that. You've got to understand it, or you, there's no way you can have joy. There's no way you can be like that ever-ready bunny. There's no way you can thrive. You just barely, maybe, survive. He says, look, get rid of this and crave this, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, the Bible is the vehicle through which the loving Lord of your life, the one who calls the shots, is the vehicle through which he nourishes his beloved children in a malevolent world. Peter basically closes by saying, look, if you have found, if you've discovered, like I have, the Lord is gracious. He is so gracious. He's so faithful. All of the things that I'm not, he is. Peter says, if you found that to be true, if you've even tasted it just a little bit, come to him, crave his attention, crave his affection, crave his wisdom, and, and receive all of it through this word. Can I ask you? Matter of fact, close your eyes because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Can I ask you, have you found, have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Could you raise your hand? You may not re, re uh, thank you. you. You may not respond the way you like, but I hope you've tasted that the Lord really is gracious toward you, because He is. And if you haven't, if you've never given your life to Him, I, I, all I can say is, taste and see. Um, Reminded of a story that uh, of a little boy who had an apple. He's walking down the street and eating the apple, and a, a, an old man comes and says, uh, "So, tell me about that apple. He's like, it tastes really good." Old man says, "Well, can you explain that for me?" Uh, well, it's really sweet. Okay, but what what is sweet? Like, how do you know that it's sweet? Well, it's really oh, here. Just taste it and see. 
there's, there comes a time when I can, I can run out of words, believe it or not. And I, I, I just can't, I can't express to you how gracious the Lord is. You just have to taste him. You have to, you have to taste of it. You have to, to kind of jump in and go, okay, Lord, I, I'm, I got my mouth open. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive whatever it is. He says, taste and see. I want to close with this. Um, I wonder, if you want to, you don't have to because I didn't give you this as a heads up, but you can turn to Psalm 34 if you want. Um, I wonder if maybe Peter, the morning that he wrote this letter, maybe in his quiet time, read through Psalm 34. Because some of the parallels are pretty amazing. Psalm 34, what was David? Here was a guy who was always in trouble and always seemingly thriving. Psalm 34, look at it, verse 6. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. He's speaking of himself. I cried out, the Lord heard me, and he saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good things? Look at this. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Lay aside some things. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is, open, is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. But the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, sorry, it's true, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. It's a little... Again, it was written hundreds of years before Peter wrote, but the message, go, go figure, it's the same. Taste and see. The Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for all the saints, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the struggling ones, Lord, the ones who are riding a, a crest of victory right now. Lord, I thank you for every single one, Lord, that, that come, comes and hears your, your voice, Lord, seeks to, uh, to desire, Lord, the, the pure word. Lord, you know at what um, spot we're each in. Lord, some of us perhaps are convicted by the fact that uh, we tend to be spoon-fed. Lord, whatever it is that you're speaking to each one, please continue to do that. Don't let us um, brush it under the, the rug. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to face whatever it is that you're saying so that we might grow thereby. We might change. We might be different people than when we came in. Help us now, Lord, in, in perhaps the most critical time, the decision-making time when we decide, when we ready our minds, when we prepare our minds to do that which we, you are calling us to do individually. In Jesus' name, amen.